Let us now turn and read together from the Lord's Day 32 in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 32, which can be found in the backs of the Book of Praise on page 548 and 549. Lord's Day 32 falls under a new heading in the Catechism regarding the third part of the Catechism about our thankfulness. Here we read and the church confesses Since we have been delivered from our misery, by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. So far, our reading of the church's confession this afternoon. After the proclamation of God's word, let us respond in song by singing from hymn 28, stanzas 5 and 6. That is hymn 28, stanzas 5 and 6, after the sermon. Brothers and sisters, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 32 marks the beginning of the third and final section of the catechism, the part concerning our thankfulness. Now up to this point, the catechism has laid bare our our lost condition in our sins and misery but also unveiled the truth of the glorious and gracious deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. And now the catechism summarizes and condenses all the territory that has been traveled so far by saying, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ without any merit of our own. That's the summary of what the catechism has covered so far. Now, since this is true, now what? Where will we go with this? What is happening here is that the catechism is looking for a moment in the rearview mirror at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it wants us to think about and consider deeply how it impacts us on the road ahead. And so it states the short summary of the gospel as a prelude to the big and important question Lord's Day 32 wants us to tackle, which is this, why must we yet do good works? Now to bring this question home to you, 
so that it does not get suspended as an abstract reality, we could rephrase the question this way. Why has God saved you? Why has God saved us? For what purpose has God saved and redeemed a people, a church, yourselves included, here on earth? Does salvation by sovereign grace apart from works mean that there is now no place in our lives for good works? For if Christ was perfectly obedient and his obedience is our righteousness before God, does that now mean that our obedience, our obedience is not important or necessary? Well, brothers and sisters, our Lord's Day this afternoon was written so that we would know that living a life of good works is not optional. We are not saved by Christ so that we can do nothing but be armchair spectators, lazy and inactive and neglectful of our task to dedicate ourselves in the service and for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, we were saved in order to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this is something that we must do. Good works must follow. That's the word that we find in question 86. Must. It's not a suggestion. It's not a wish. It's not a recommendation. It's an obligation, a command, a demand. Therefore, I preach God's word to you this afternoon as it has been summarized in this Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism under the following theme. Thankful to God for his gracious redemption in Christ, we are made eager to do good. We'll see three points. First, the basis for good works. Secondly, the purpose of good works. And thirdly, the seriousness of good works. First, let us look at the basis The third section of the catechism is titled, Our Thankfulness. It is true that in one sense, the catechism has now come to our part. But when we say that, we must immediately qualify that statement by saying that this does not mean that in salvation, God has done his part, and now we must do ours. Well, we must be clear that our salvation does not in any way or at all depend on us, not in the acquiring of it and not in the applying of it either. The Catechism makes this point as dramatically and as powerfully as it possibly can here in Lord's Day 32. And we see that in how answer 86 begins in the words, because Christ... Well, brothers and sisters, is this where you would begin in answering this question? Were I to ask you, why must we do good works? I have a hunch that a typical catechism student would respond to this question with the answer, because we have to, or because the Bible says so, or because the Christian has to do this out of gratitude. And none of these answers would be wrong. 
or incorrect insofar as they go, but none of them are complete. None of them go far enough. For the answer to this question, why must we do good works, should be a Christ-centered answer, as we find here in the catechism. So what is that answer more fully? Why must we do good works? The catechism says, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his spirit. And there we have the heart of the catechism's answer. We do good because Christ has not left his work unfinished or incomplete. He is a complete savior, a full redeemer. And therefore, he is also the author of our renewing, our renewing which we desperately need. This is something we can never do in and of ourselves, in our own power. Try as desperately as we might, we cannot improve our own life. And attempting to do so is hopeless and futile and doomed to fail. But Christ did not leave us alone to ourselves. He did not only come to forgive our sins, but he also came to set us free. Such is the extent of our redemption in Christ. His complete work is the only basis and foundation for our thankful living. As we read in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Well, those verses tell us plainly that salvation is entirely by grace, and that it cannot be earned in any way, not even that not even the smallest effort we make to do good will in the slightest way contribute to our salvation. If it were otherwise, then our salvation would be insecure. It would be uncertain. It would be precarious and, and vulnerable to failure because it would in some way depend upon us. And that would be and should be a scary thought. But thanks be to God that our salvation depends not on our accomplishments, but on the accomplishments of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on that basis, our salvation is steadfast and eternally secure and settled. When that basis is firmly fixed in our understanding, it is then that we understand that our only proper motivation for Christian living is that of thankfulness. For every reason for being holy, being godly, being Christ-like in how we live, in being obedient to the commands of God, in being a prayerful people, in short, every reason for doing good in any and every way comes out of our thankfulness for what God has done for us in Christ. And for that reason, then, Good works are not some kind of extra that we add on to the Christian life. They are not the bells and whistles that we attach to our lives in order to be noticed and draw attention to ourselves. No, good works come naturally out of our thankful lives. 
it comes natural out of our lives of those who are thankful to God for his free gift of grace. For those, those who believe give evidence that Christ has redeemed us and is renewing us by his spirit. For Christ pardons and purifies. He rescues and restores. He forgives and he frees. He justifies and he sanctifies. He does not only do something for you through his son, he also does something in you through his spirit, changing you to become more and more into his image. That brings us now to our second point, the purpose of good works. When we read here in the catechism of being renewed into his image, that is speaking of the image of Christ. This gives us the pattern which Christ uses to renew us according to. He wants to renew us according to his image. As Romans 8, 29 says, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, there in that compact phrase, we find that God's purpose for us is that we become more and more Christ-like. That's the goal that God has in mind for us. Now that doesn't mean we can become like Christ in the sense that of who he was, in the sense that he had both divine and and human natures, capable of performing supernatural miracles and being blessed with perfect knowledge and insight and, and understanding and perfect obedience. Of course, we could never be, never be like that. But we can exhibit Christ-likeness in following the path of humility and self-denial and by being forgiving even toward our enemies whom we are called to love. We can live by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to image Christ in loving God as Christ loved God in loving God's word as Christ loved God's word and loving God's will as Christ loved God's will and made it his top priority in life always to please and honor the Father in everything. Such is the Christ-likeness that we should manifest as his people as those in whom the Spirit is working. Now, a couple of years ago, a country music singer by the name of George Canyon came out with a song titled, Who Would You Be? And in this song, he describes what is presumably a fictional account of a a few men sitting around a table playing a game of cards. And one of them poses the question to the others, if you could be anyone in this whole world, who would you be? And the song goes on to mention possibilities like Elvis, Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln, John Lennon, Babe Ruth, and even Moses as possible answers. And the characters in the song each take their turn in giving their answers. And one man answers, 
I'd be a cowboy like John Wayne. And another, a major league pitcher making millions just by throwing a ball. And finally, the song climaxes at the end with the singer chiming in with his own answer. And in true sentimental country music fashion and unabashedly claiming that he wants to be the best father and husband in the world. And now the song is good insofar as it goes. Nothing wrong with having aspirations like that. In fact, it is a noble aspiration and a mark of faithfulness to aspire to be the best parent that one can be if that's what God has called you to. But what the song sadly misses out on is that there is no one greater whom we can aspire to be like than Christ, to resemble him and his image in our walk and in our talk with our entire life and entire conduct. For there can be no greater compliment said of you at any time in your life or perhaps if it is after your life, for someone to say of you that he or she was so Christ-like in how he lived or in how she lived, in how he conducted himself or in how she conducted herself. And so rather than aspiring to be like the greatest athletes or the most popular and famous celebrities, the rich and the famous or the most adventurous, May our primary goal and aim and purpose in life to be to reflect and honor Christ in all our dealings, in all of our activities, and in all of our interactions to portray his image. It was for this purpose, to honor him, that we strive to do good and strive to be good. For Christ has embodied for us what being made in God's image looks like. He showed us what we were created to be in the beginning. And it is also that image into which God is recreating us by his spirit. As Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 verse 10, he said these rich and remarkable words, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That word workmanship Paul uses there is related uh, to our word for poem. A poem takes time and care and skill to craft well. We could also substitute here then the word masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece, an amazing work of art, not something that simply sits there and hangs on the, on the wall looking pretty but doing nothing. But God has made us his masterpiece so that good works will flow forth from us. Out of the raw materials mentioned earlier in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, God took us a pile of worthless rubble being dead in sins and transgressions, enemies of God and objects of wrath. And he set to work reshaping us and restoring us 
through Christ into the temples that we were created to be, being made alive into a sanctified people who would do good and right and be holy, godly, and pure. God has even, we learn in Ephesians 2 verse 10, foreordained the good works that he wants us to do. That is, he has set up the course for us to follow, we could say. He has mapped out the who's and the what's and the where's on our path. And he has placed us and he has placed you in the middle of that plan to do good out of thankfulness to his honor and glory. Well, this great salvation of justification and sanctification, what God has done for us and in us, calls us to thankfulness. The Catechism says it this way, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits. You can see there how far-reaching this is. The Catechism doesn't simply say here, so that we may show thankfulness to God. That's why we must do good works. As if all we must do are a few good things here and there, every once in a while, do just enough to appease God and to avoid his displeasure. Simply abide by a few rules and that will suffice. That's how we so often define good works wrongly. Instead, we are to have the understanding that thankful living is comprehensive. Everything we do is to be done for the Lord. No part do we hold back, as we heard this morning. We give him our whole life, not just a part or two, not just a few hours on Sunday in the morning and in the afternoon by showing up to church, not just by giving the pocket change that you can scrounge up and, and deposit that into the collection bag, and not only by showing care and concern only to those who show care and concern back to you. How often we stop short in thankful living with our, not living with our whole lives. And so let us again and again seek to apply Romans 12 verse 1 to offer our bodies, the, the whole thing, as living sacrifices and seek the renewing of our minds. This is, this is the wholesale transformation brought about through faith that we seek to do God's will in every area of life. And so living thankfully and doing good leads to three aims. One toward God, one toward ourselves, and one toward the world. The Catechism speaks of doing good works first so that God may be praised by us. That is, we are to give God what he is owed because he has done everything for our salvation given us his son, everything he could give. We therefore have every reason to praise and glorify him. And then secondly, we must do good works so that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, says the catechism. 
Well, what a great and, and reassuring sign this can be for us when we are weak and, and struggling in our faith. We may look at ourselves and see evidence of good behavior which we try to do for the Lord's glory and honor out of thankfulness, and then this serves to assure us that we are being renewed by the Holy Spirit. This good cannot come about in any other way. And then thirdly, by the good that we do, by the good works that characterize our godly walk of life, our goodness, holiness, mercy, and honesty and integrity, the watching world may see and and recognize the marvelous work that God has done in us and so that he be praised and glorified. Well, in this we recognize the marvelous work that God has done in us as believers. And then as believers, we may take up our calling to live as the salt and the light in this world in order to attract this world to the gospel of salvation that has changed us so. That means that we should desire and pray for opportunities to rub shoulders with outsiders in order to show them the love of Christ. Well, by our different way of life, we want to prompt people to ask questions such as, how can I have what he's got? Or what's making her heart tick that she acts in that way at such a time? How often, it is sad to say, do we not instead think that carrying out a form of godliness will do it all by itself without attaching any words to it? Well, it won't always work that way. Neither will having all the right answers filed away in your brain or tucked away in your heart do this. For it has been said, no one will care how much you know until they know how much you care, how much you love them, how much you desire their well-being, especially their spiritual and eternal well-being. Well, may our lives then stand out and apart from this world so that our lifestyle may provide a powerful and winsome testimony to those around us. And we come now then to our last point, the seriousness of good works. Well, the seriousness of good works is brought to the fore in the last question and answer of our Lord's day. Question 87 asks, can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? And the answer that the catechism gives is firm and emphatic, by no means. For Lord's Day 32 has just been detailing for us that redemption in Christ must go together with renewal by the Holy Spirit. They are part and parcel of the same salvation. But now what if there is no proof of the Spirit renewing the heart? What if all there is, uh, what if all there is is nothing uh, to show except for a continuing persistence in sinful and not thankful living? Well, if there is that comfortability in sin, then that is a sign that the Spirit is being resisted 
in one's life. And for them, the sober and solemn truth of the word of God is that they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. For just think about it this way. How could any of those types of sinners listed in answer 87 ever imagine that they will enter into the new Jerusalem, the holy city, and live in the presence of a holy God? Well, the unchaste person loves their unchastity, not God. The idolater loves their idols, not God. The adulterer loves their adultery, not God, and and so on. Well, how can any sinful behavior and wicked conduct, any of these traits which do not image God but actually image the evil one, be anything but incompatible with living with God? and being in his presence. And so we see that good works are not optional. They are not an add-on to the Christian life, not an appendix to the Christian life, but they are an absolutely essential ingredient, an essential part of our life that we are to, if we are to enter into God's kingdom. We cannot enter into the kingdom without a life that evidences the new life that the Spirit has given us. So brothers and sisters, I ask you, how zealous are you for good works? Say we could ask the members of this community that question, the community city of Edmonton, to examine the lives of us here in this congregation, both inside and out. Would they be able to see how different we are? Would they see any variation between the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that they do? Now, especially young people. Should they not be able to say, look at them, those young people in the church. They don't act like the young people in the world. They don't go drinking every weekend. They don't go abusing substances. Instead, they find wholesome means of entertainment. They keep their bodies pure. They show that they truly love the Lord. And what's true for young people is, of course, true for the whole congregation. That the gospel gives evidence of its value in the lives of those who profess to believe it. And so, brothers and sisters, is your life one that is filled with good works? Not just one or two here or there, but filled with good works. Free from sin and and engaged in the pursuit of righteousness. The Christian life is marked by a love for God and a love for your neighbor. True godliness, true Christ-likeness. In short, that in all you do, Your time and talents will be redirected away from yourselves and your paid honor to the honor and glory of the Lord. Well, the Spirit does not generate any other kind of Christian than that. And so may he make each of us a living sacrifice of praise and thankfulness to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.